0: Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have these guys here today as well. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning, Brad. Brian. Morning. Philip. Hey, Brad. And Bob. Hello, guys. We're happy to have you guys listening to us here on our BCI Cattle Chat. We also have a new podcast that's out called Bovine Science with BCI. That one's a little bit different format, a little more in-depth on some different topics. We've talked about antibiotics, talked about nutrition, talked about reproduction, and a few other things. So join us for that. You can download it the same place that you get this podcast. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about creating your 2023 plan. So a lot of times January, we're planning stuff out. We'll talk a little bit about that, get you guys' opinion. We'll also talk about as many times we have discussed body condition scoring. How do you learn how to do that if you're not proficient at it? And what are the big takeaways that you wanna learn? And then we'll follow up with AJ Tarpoff who talked to us about reviving new calves. So to start out with, I wanna ask you guys a question. Today's question's a, a little bit different because I got a Christmas present that I thought was really cool and you'll have to uh, settle a disagreement between my wife and I. So hmm. we, yeah, we know which, where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> so i i got a thermometer that tracks the meat that you put on the smoker and you put it in and it tracks and it makes a really cool graph and so after we get done smoking i said wouldn't it be cool if i could download this and put it in a spreadsheet and then look at it each time i did the smoker. And she said, in fact, no, that would not be cool. That would make me geeky. So I wanted you guys' opinions if you thought that would be cool.
1: You might be asking the wrong group if it's geeky or not (laughs) to chart your graphs and data.
2: (laughs) This is is why I'm asking you guys. This is an opportunity to put grilling and spreadsheets together. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Who wouldn't want to do that? Dustin already has one. No, but I'm sitting
0: sort of thinking, wow, I should probably invest in something like this. <laughs> it but
2: was, no, i it was super cool because you
0: could you could watch as the well, curve I know. went up, and then you could tell when the temperature spiked and went down when you opened the lid. And the tell. best thing of all of it is now you're going to have to
3: grill all the time because you need I, enough sample size.
0: I need to get better at yeah. yeah.
3: Absolutely. So yeah, I'm I'm for it. Yeah,
4: I, I was out until Dustin said you need to grill a lot. So you didn't, didn't think I, no, I you think didn't think they, I what I, I said was
0: cool but you thought
4: was a terrible would... <laughs> idea. Yeah.
0: No. <laughs> well, I'm still going to try it. And I could not figure out how to get the data out, but I'm not done. I'm going to go again. So let's let's start talking 2023 in addition to grilling a lot more. We want to talk about planning and let's think about planning and I want to look at it from different aspects, both business, financial, Health. What are the things that I need to start thinking about? And Dustin, I want to go to you first.
3: Yeah. So we're starting off twenty twenty three. I guess my initial thoughts with this is it's a time to start planning. Right. Uh, If you maybe haven't collected records in the past, maybe this is a good time to start. My I guess my initial thought was getting stuff on paper. There's software out there. Yes, we could with, and there's papers out there with all the different kinds of software. We could put that in our show notes, but just start documenting something. Now, the question is, what is that something? That's, I think, what, whether it's reproduction, whether it's economics, whether it's nutrition, that I think we could probably sit around and debate for a while, but for sure, just get something on paper. That way, you can start tracking it across time.
0: And, and what do you think about, as you're planning stuff out to put on paper, who is involved in that process? Just you, do you talk to others? Who, who do you visit with? If you have never done it, you might visit with some different folks just to, to
3: see what you should be. But again, just thinking about from an economic perspective for a minute probably want to track your incomes and expenses so maybe uh, an accountant because you're thinking about taxes you know at the end of the year you probably want to visit with your banker i mean assuming you go banker i mean again this isn't just a one-time shop right you should be visiting with these probably on a more regular basis uh so for sure accountants uh, maybe a, a banker maybe a nutritionist and other advisors and i don't and there's probably lots of different folks for advisors, with veterinarian, et cetera. But those would be some of the people I would probably start with.
2: You know, one of the things that I, I think is really important is, is to build that group of people in your community because there's a lot of local knowledge. Um, and, and sometimes I think some of us, and I'm looking at myself, just try to do it myself because I'm not terrible at some of these jobs like accounting. Actually, I probably am but I'm not comparing myself to people that are really good at it. And again, so building that local group of people, and, and again, it's, it's meeting with them frequently enough, but we're not talking about, you know, all the time, but get the input from people that are truly experts. And then, you know, bounce several ideas off of other people, and you, the cattleman, are still going to make the final decision on how you want to run your ranch and your cattle. But get some ideas from other people.
0: So you guys have
2: made it, and
0: now as, as we discuss it, what I'm hearing is I need to talk to some other folks. I need to sit down. I need to write stuff out. And now it has shifted to my to-do list that will be done when I have a free day. So when I have an entirely free day, I'm going to sit down and do this. Is that is that where we need to be? No, I don't think you want to wait just until you get a free day
3: because that free day becomes, well, I'll do it on Friday. Well, maybe next Friday. Well, just spend a few minutes every day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just, just whether maybe it's the very beginning of your morning when you're sitting there drinking your coffee at Five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. Start, jown, start jotting down your
0: records and whatnot. And so, so start out with little pieces. You yeah. don't have to do it all at once.
4: And I and I was going to say, you know, it'd be great to get all of those advisors together at one time, but that it's it's nearly impossible with everybody's schedule. So, you know, maybe it's one day it's a Zoom meeting with your accountant or your banker, and the, a week later you're fifteen minutes with a veterinarian either during a routine herd check or on Zoom just to touch in. Now, to be clear, if it's the first time you're working with that veterinarian, you can't do it that way. they got to be there in person. But, you know, if this is a veterinarian you've been working for, ask them for 20, 30 minutes of their time, Zoom meeting, whatever, touch base and move forward.
1: So my brain went a little bit more specific and just thinking about from a nutrition standpoint and specific, specifically the last year that we've had as far as grazing and hay production and those kind of things. So, you know, we're you're right now you're, you're trying to just get through the winter with what you've got and you're feeding, but you also need to be thinking about your grazing plan and hay production and contingency forage resources already for this next year because the, where we're at right now we still haven't caught up on rainfall in lots of parts of the country and so we're we need to have that contingency plan and be thinking about how we're going to graze and and bringing in advisors you know think about somebody from the NRCS or somebody like that that has the grazing expertise and the forage expertise to help you figure out how to set up your grazing management plan on drought stress pastures or pastures that are trying to recover from a drought if we do get good spring rains. And so those are some things to think about for this upcoming spring.
0: So in two things that you said, which I really like, one, I'm going to think about as I'm projecting forward. And two, what I heard is I need to look back at my records, at what was last year, what went well, what didn't go well. How do I make sure? And maybe there's something that I didn't write down which I would like to. So I'm not gonna to try to overcomplicate it, but I'm gonna do one piece <laughs> at a time as, as I build this forward. So grazing plan is one thing that I wanna look at. What on the health side, Bob? Well,
2: I, to me, the, the key to good cattle health is, is back to the basics. So it's good housing, good nutrition, good biosecurity, and by housing, with beef cattle, we're not typically talking about a lot of built environment. What I'm talking about is pastures that aren't overgrazed, pastures that are available for calving. We talked about the Sandhills calving system a couple of weeks ago, and having multiple pastures to move cows in. So basically, and a lot of this does require planning ahead, you know, developing water sources and Corner posts and things that I'm going to need. Biosecurity, yeah, work with your veterinarian. It's about well, do I bring new cattle into the operation, and how do I do that? What's my vaccination program? What's my animal health? You know, how do I identify sick cattle, and what's my response to that? You know, so it's it's I, I go back to the basics. It's what makes healthy cattle. Well, a good environment, a good diet, and. Uh, Fairly good protection against uh, the germs that might come into the operation.
0: Absolutely. Anything specific on the econ side, Dustin? You
3: know, what? you're going to have to do taxes at the end of the year, right? So, obviously, income. I'm thinking income. Thinking statements here first. Income statement. So expenses that. So you can manage your taxable income and help out with the taxes. Uh, your balance sheet. You're going to have to include your assets, your liabilities, and you can calculate your net worth because you're going to probably end up visiting with your banker. So he's going to want to see your balance sheet. Finally, the other thing I personally think is is useful to be your cash flow statement because your income statement will tell you kind of income and expenses, but what if all your expenses are at the beginning of the year and the income doesn't come until the second half of the year? How are you going to make that cash flow? And so maybe through your lender. So I think cash flow, knowing when the money's coming in and when it's going out and where it's coming from, where it's going, because that just, again, helps you. It'll help you manage year, your income and your expenses a lot better.
0: So not just profit and loss, but also cash flow. And I think all of those are important. And this is a, a great lead in, as you guys talked about, some of, the, some of the record keeping, some of the things that we need to do great time to plan it out this time of year those records are important we actually went through a few of our cows uh actually over christmas break and our third grader helped write stuff down for us and we got done and i went back and i was looking at i said what does it say because he had written something by one cow number i said what does that say and he said feisty (laughs) <laughs> so, so I'm glad that that's what we called her, was feisty, because yeah. he was writing down whatever we called her. And, and that may not have been the term you used. That was the term I used. Okay. I said All she right. was feisty. Okay. so And she was. Next topic, let's talk about, and we had a good question from a listener talking about, are there any automated ways... To body condition score, you guys talk a lot about
2: body condition scoring. Are there any automated ways to do that? Kind of, but not very practical. So, for a lot of research projects where you want as objective and repeatable a measurement as possible, I've seen uh, some projects where we'll go in with a with an ultrasound and do like you would for a carcass ultrasound, or and and get a body fat thickness at one particular location, you know, and that's very repeatable. And you can, uh, but the problem with that is is the expense, the slowness, the inefficiency of it. So I think that's appropriate for a research project when you want to be that precise and that repeatable. But just the the traditional nine point scale body condition scoring scale one is very thin, nine is very obese, and honestly we had very few ones, twos, eights, or nines. That's good enough for most people. But but then th- th- this question was well, yeah, but I don't know how to do that. And so I think that there are some good resources, and then and, and maybe having someone that, that you do trust to do body condition scoring to kind of check on you.
1: Yeah, Bob, well, there's some – about every extension service throughout the country and every state has a publication – talking about how to body condition score cows with some pictures now pictures are a good tool to kind of start with but they're not the greatest as far as trying to learn from scratch because every cow looks a little bit different and so you got to kind of do some practice with somebody to help you basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to set your subjective visual to an objective value and so you've got to train your eye to look okay what does a body condition score five look like how much cover does she have over the ribs how much cover does she have over the hooks and pins and the tail head and those kinds of things
4: well and i don't know i i subscribe to the goldilocks body condition theory which is she's a little too fat she's a little too thin or she's just right so if i think if you're starting out i think that's probably good enough and and even if you're working with somebody that's really experienced if if you said a five and they said it's a four or six it's okay that's okay you know and and some of this is what what are you body condition scoring for what's your goal like you know is it because you want to break the herd into several groups to manage their nutrition differently or do you just feel like you want to do you need to feed more or feed less for the whole group right so all of all of that kind of depends on how precise you need to be if if you just want to know if you've got to feed your herd a little more or a little less you're probably close enough right if you're one or two within one plus or minus you're fine that'll give you a good indicator the pictures are a good guide so i i don't i guess i don't get terribly fussy about whether you're exactly on with somebody that's more experienced cuz it is subjective and i've done it but I've been off by one or one plus or minus before too.
0: Well, and I think that's a great point Brian. Don't overcomplicate it. And I like your Goldilocks theory. They're they're too thin, they're too fat, or they're just right. And what you're really looking for, you also brought up the goal of the operation and what you're really looking for is do I, am I starting to get too many Thin cows. So it's not whether you're right on an individual cow because you'll be right on the herd
2: as you look through. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I really like the concept of don't overcomplicate it. And, and a nine point scale almost can be a little bit intimidating because the decisions we make are does this cow or this group of cows need more feed or are they about right? I'm probably not going to take an overconditioned cow and reduce the feed. So it's really stay the same, add more feed. That's a pretty much yes, no, she's good enough, or more than good enough, or she's not. And so a nine-point scale kind of intimidates some people because, well, what if I call her a six and you call her a seven or four or five? And the reality is, do you want to feed her more? Do you think she needs more feed, or do you think she doesn't? And that's both as an individual, if you're going to do some segregating, or as a group.
0: And and I think writing it down is important because the tricky thing is, If you're feeding, especially this time of year, you're feeding the cows every day or you're out with them every day and you see them, you don't see those gradual changes because it changes over time so slow. They don't change a body condition score in a day. They change a body condition score in a few months so you don't see that unless you write it down then you might start to notice some differences because it takes some time
1: yeah i mean so you think about a body condition score as far as weight goes is you know 80 to 100 pounds on a cow is a change in one body condition score so on a you know 1300 pound cow can you really tell the difference between a 1200 and a 1300 pound cow when you look at them probably not and so it takes time and it's again judging your your eye judging a difference from what you saw before it's not that you can go look at a cow at one time and say oh she's 100 pounds lighter than she should be no she is losing weight based on what i looked at her before and so it takes uh you know a month or so for that to happen well and
4: the other thing too is if you really want to get good at this practice right you're not going to do it just once on the whole herd once a year and then you know i i would tell people like as you go see cows pick three or four body condition score, you know, do it, do that once a day, once a week, whatever. And, and then you get it. Not only do you get better at doing body condition scoring, but you get a better assessment of your herd over time.
0: Excellent. Good points guys. When you're starting to take off on body scoring and, and Brian's Brian's last. So the Goldilocks principle and just do it right. It's Brian's advice on body scoring. (laughs) So I think both of those are good piece of advice. We wanted to catch up. We talked some with Dr. Tarpoff from KSU Animal Science last week. We were talking last week about reviving calves and we didn't get through quite everything we wanted to talk about. So we had Dr. AJ Tarpoff back from Kansas State Animal Science here and he does our calving schools here in the state, does a fabulous job. And we had some more things that we wanted to talk about. So AJ, one of the things that I have seen a lot of times, you get a, a newborn calf, it's been a dystocia, difficult time. Somebody says, hold him upside down because we can get the fluid out of his lungs. What are what are your thoughts on that?
5: No, that's a, that, that, come, that question comes up a lot and it's uh, you know the thought process behind it you know it's like oh if there's fluid on the lungs unfortunately when we hang calves upside down it's actually it's it's counterproductive right the lungs you think about them they're really light they're fluffy they should be full of air uh the guts you know they're that that's that's where all the muscle is that's where all the weight is and the muscle that actually has to open up that that airway is the diaphragm and when all of the pressure of the abdomen is now being pressed and actually keeping the lungs small The calf has to work extra hard just to be able to breathe for the first time. And any fluid that really comes out, that that lung, the lung itself is not open at birth. They have to take that first breath. So any fluid that comes out is actually coming from the stomach and not coming from the airway.
0: Yeah, because you will see fluid come out if you hold a calf upside down, but it's coming from his stomach, so not not all that helpful some of the other things we talk about bob or we see done putting straw up their nose what are, what are your thoughts I, on that
2: i think really what we're trying to do when we when we do that is to to basically stimulate kind of a cough reflex kind of a stimulate that calf to take a breath and so i i don't know if it's if whether we're hitting a pressure point or we're just making a mad or whatever but squeezing the nose you know like right in the the septum between the nostrils squeezing that putting a straw up there, those types of things. A lot of times those calves will kind of shake their head and, and do what we want them to do, which is take a big breath. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's I, we, we talked about there's not a lot of really strong research for some of these things that we try, but a couple of these things I think are are. They make a lot of sense you know, get that calf to shake his head stimulate get him you know get his attention basically enough that he'll take a big breath
0: and and that's where we're trying to get them to take a breath and we and we are trying to kind of mimic nature there was actually some stuff done in horses where they actually did a a little bit of a squeeze on the baby horses right aj and, and it showed some benefit
5: yeah and there's there's been several articles uh you know in popular press talking about it's called the madigan squeeze uh, so, if anybody wants to look that up, but the Madigan squeeze—it's uh, the thought process behind it. The physiology makes sense. So, there are these uh, neurosteroids that are in the brain that get released while they're in utero, inside the womb before birth. <clears throat> That's basically why the animal doesn't sit there and kick and try to run inside the womb. It keeps them kind of sedated. So which is which is probably beneficial for both it and the mom. Correct. Uh, so we so we have this uh, you know basically naturally sedated calf inside the womb. But then there's a series of processes that should downregulate or suppress the amount of neurosteroids being released. And usually that happens going through the calving process or the foaling process in, in, you know, in horses. So what happens if it was a C-section or along these lines that we just have this dummy foal? Okay, I'll talk about it on the horse side. So we have this dummy foal. So, well, how do we downregulate that? Well, what happens naturally if it was a C-section? They, you know, they missed the opportunity to go through the birth canal. So the idea of squeezing these calves, that's where this Madigan squeeze came up to help uh, treat these dummy foals. And how it's done, it's uh, done with uh, essentially a lariat. I, uh, I've done it several times. I actually use a soft uh, nylon rope. I got a boat rope from Walmart. <laughs> so it uh, works really well. You t- tie, you know, Hondo on there. Uh, you actually loop it through the front legs and you put the top of the knot up at the back of the withers and then you you actually tie uh two overhand knots so basically we can just uh, pull them back if you've ever seen them cast a cow uh, very similar that we do two throws uh that's all up on the withers and we pull straight back we just have constant tension um and if the animal's standing and just weak and kind of dummy they will lay down it's it has a really strong sedative effect they lay down we keep constant tension for about 20 minutes after 20 minutes, we release it, and it's like a two, three, four, or five seconds. And all of a sudden, snap! It they snap out of it and they jump up. And but the idea is getting rid of that neural steroid. There are quite a few people that do it with cattle, and
0: and the kind of half hitches. So you described it as like you're casting a cow, mm-hmm. right? And so many people have cast a cow, and you sometimes you cast a cow, you'll tie a lariat around the neck, not in a way that it's going to get tighter, but around the neck in front of the shoulders. And you do a couple half hitches but in this case you're saying you're going to go by the front legs
5: in between the front legs, in between so the front you legs. drop the loop between the front legs and then you do the two half hitches directly on you know behind those so you have the loop. all the pressure on the chest yeah basically. all the pressure not on the, the abdomen
2: correct the
4: chest okay and not the neck and not the neck and not the neck yep. yep
0: so you've got everything a little more condensed Then if you're casting a cow you've kind of got it spread out on how you're doing it but here you've got it on the chest you pull back they, and you get it straight back behind them to give that pressure for 20 minutes.
5: And I, I know a lot of producers are like, "Well, I'm not going to stand there and hold this pressure for 20 minutes." Well, that's okay. You can tie it off to a you know a post something like that just to keep enough constant tension on the on that calf for 20 minutes. Is there much data out there on a Madigan squeeze with a calf? Not to my knowledge. Uh, however, this is, truly is a do no harm. If there truly is a neurosteroid issue, you know, that that that's still suppressing this calf from, you know, its ultimate vigor, it takes 20 minutes out of your day and it truly is a do no harm. Now, there's other issues where we can have a dummy calf and a very weak calf early in life. If this could potentially help, it is a do-no-harm, and it may be something to try, assuming we do it right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do it do it well, and I'd say look it up, get a diagram if our description is a little bit confusing, but make sure
4: that you do it right and make sure that you put some pressure on there. And and this is one of those things, if you work with your veterinarian, they can teach you the technique. And <clears throat> if you get one of these calves and he's not really responsive— this would be a good first step, right? As AJ said, it's a do no harm. So do this first. If he's not responding, call your vet, do this while you're waiting for the vet to show up. And then what, if he gets there, great, we're good. Or if he gets, he's good, you can move on. And if he's not, then we can move to the next intervention or the next intervention, which is probably a little
5: more than just a squeeze. And now there is a limit, uh, on how long we, we can wait on this. Most veterinarians that use it routinely in calf ranches and things like that, that I've talked to and had this conversation with it's really within a 48 hours. If we're going to use this technique, it's not, you know, a week old calf. It's within the first two days of life that we can see some of that added benefit. But that's generally where we're sitting.
0: Excellent information, AJ. Thanks for making time to come back and join us again.
5: Yeah, happy to be here.
0: And we appreciate you guys listening along as well. As always, if you have questions, comments, or things you'd like us to talk about, send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.